Every Sunday for the next three, four Sundays, you guys, we're going to do a five to seven minute, we're going to just call it Imagine Stewardship Challenge moment, and just to give you some information and fill you in on some of the things that are happening. So we as a church family could be on the same page and be sort of kept up to date. We said from day one when we planted this church that everything we do in our church, every single thing we do in our church is to advance the mission of our church. Every single thing, every decision we make, every gathering, every ministry, everything we do. And actually, it's a pretty simple evaluative guide. So we said if it advances the mission of the church, we do it. If it doesn't, we don't do it. And the mission of our church, which we recite every Sunday, is to passionately love Jesus Christ, intentionally engage in an authentic community, and radically advance the cause of Jesus. If it advances the mission of the church, we do it. If it, does, if it doesn't, we don't. Can you imagine what our city would look like, city of Chicago would look like if every spiritually lost person was found, if every lonely person longing for community got connected, and every hurting person was helped? Can you imagine what our city would look like if there was a critical mass of Christ followers who began to live their lives and express the gospel in their workplaces, in their homes, in their communities? Imagine what our city would look like. And it's with that vision and mission in mind that we planted this church from day one and we said that we're going to do everything possible to be obedient to God and his call in our lives. And by the way, you and I all individually have a mission to play in God's mission for us. That is, every single day we get up, we recognize that there are people that God has set for us to talk to. There are people that God has called us to help and to love. And there is a mission and a purpose for our lives to fulfill every single day. And the extent to which we live into that mission of our church is the extent to which we live this abundant life that Jesus talked about. When we decided to buy this church, we bought it by asking that question, will it help us better fulfill the mission of the church? If it did, we said yes. If it didn't, we said no. And the emphatic answer to those of us at leadership as we prayed is that the building was going to better help us fulfill the mission of the church to advance the cause of Jesus, to better help engage in community, and to better passionately love Jesus. We all know that a church is not a building, it's people. It's people of God. A building just merely exists so that the people of God, the church, could fulfill the mission of the church. And what I want to do this morning, real quickly, like in two minutes, is to tell you what's already happening. What's already happening. Some of it we just inherited by buying the building. What's already happening in this church to fulfill the mission of the church? To advance the cause of Jesus, for example. By the way, uh, from day one, we said, Lord, someday we pray that you'd allow us to be in a building where we could do ministry throughout the week. Why? Because the church is not Sunday worship for two hours, but the church is every day. And so here's what's already happening throughout the week. Every Tuesday and, Wednesday, Tuesday and Thursday... This we just inherited from the church that was here. There's a Elijah food pantry. Food pantry, Elijah food pantry. It serves, right now, 500 families per month. Is that exciting? 500 families per month is already being served through 1,000 pounds of food per week, which we had donated a lot of it. And there's 15 volunteers every Tuesday and Thursday for the Elijah food pantry. 
to meet physical, tangible needs of people in this community. Another thing that's happening, every Wednesday, there's a thing called community dinner. Community dinners every, every Wednesday here. We're about 80 guests per week. And I've been here on a Wednesday, and it gets pretty crowded and full. And five volunteers serve a meal every single Wednesday to 80 families throughout the week. There's also community partnerships. This building is used three days a week for various AA and NA groups. There's about 100 people that gather here throughout those three days. And last but not least, at some point, our open arms ministry, where we serve the homeless, brothers and sisters, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that facility or that ministry that at the Church of the Advent down the street will someday move here and will run out of our fellowship hall. And many of you do not know that our Open Arms Ministry serves about 80 guests per week for various volunteers. So here we are in this building right now being able to do something we would have never been able to do as a renter. We are serving close to 760 families per week as hands and feet of Christ. Is that exciting? Now that, that... Thank you for clapping for that. That is exciting. That is something we would just merely be able to just dream about. Now we're actually able to do. So imagine the possibilities. Imagine the possibilities. What about engaging in community? We have a family small group or community group that meets here every Sunday after church. And I talked to Brady, who is the leader, and he said, Pastor Pete, I can't tell you what it's meant for us as parents with little kids to be able to meet in church where the kids have their own spaces to run around and parents could, without distraction, pray and talk and discuss. Just one of the ways in which we're meeting the need. Another way in which uh, we are going to, this is imagine the future. Did you know that there were 90 kids here over Easter weekend? Just to give you perspective, 90 kids. That's the average size of a church in America. And next year, we're probably talking 180 kids. Many of you know, our church for a brief period had a youth ministry with incredibly uh, committed volunteers. We rented out a storefront and did youth ministry. It's been about seven years since we've had a youth ministry. And over those seven years, it is incredibly hard for me to say, but we've lost a number of families. When they got to be a certain age, they said, we need to find a church where our kids could be discipled. Well, I'm excited to announce today that at the early summer in June, we are launching a youth ministry here at New Community. Okay? There's <laughs> okay. Annette, one of our dear sisters. I don't know if you heard back there. She said, that's one of the reasons my, my daughter left Pastor Peter. It's no youth ministry here. Alexa was in high school. Two very committed volunteers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out. Dusty, raise your hands, please. Dusty. Katie, are you in here? Katie? Katie Valentine, there they are. Okay. Yep. So along with our burgeoning children's ministry that's exploding at the seams. And some of you guys already saw this Facebook post. But 10 days ago on a Tuesday, we had four babies born in a 24-hour period in our church. It was crazy. It's crazy. Okay. And I could go on and on and on for sake of time. You guys... This building is a gift, not for us to build a great church, but for us to do the work of God to transform this city for Christ. Amen? What do we need you to do? We need you to invest. We're not just talking money, time, talents, energy. We need you to jump in. We need you to be involved. We need you to engage the mission and not just sit in the back pew. 
not to pick on people that are sitting in the back here. I know you kind of came late, but um, with that, you're going to continue to hear every Sunday, okay, on how you could be involved in this stewardship challenge. Our theme is imagine simply because of this. We know what we could imagine. That's limited. But imagine what God can do in this neighborhood. Imagine what God can do in our city. And imagine what God can do in the world. Through you, through me. Today, uh, we are launching a brand new sermon series uh, for the next uh, four Sundays. And uh, we're calling it Walking with God. Walking with God. And it's essentially sermon series on the Holy Spirit, actually. Uh, anybody, anybody looking forward to this? <laughs> Yesterday, I was a group of people with our stewardship uh, leadership team, and, and one of them were like, are you preaching on that Holy Spirit thingy? I shouldn't actually say that, but she's like, is that what we're talking about? I said, yeah, because I know that whenever I talk on the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, should be more often, amen? I only preach on this about every two years. I don't know why, but every two years, and every time I preach on this, there's a group of people in our church that are like, yes! And then there's other folks that are like, you know, um, Here's why we talk about this. And I'm just going to put this up here. Just to let you know where we're going. Right up front. We believe that the Christian life is only possible. when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Lives through us. This Christian life for us. We believe in our church. That the Christian life is possible. It's only possible. When Jesus. Who in the person of the Holy Spirit. Lives inside of us. Lives inside of us. Lives through us. This Christian life for us. And we take this seriously. We take this seriously. We take this seriously. Because for many of us. The challenge to embracing this entirely different. I'm just calling it an entirely different approach. Living the Christian life. Is an absolute challenge. Because of the way we grew up. And here's the way some of us. Not all of us. Grew up. We grew up hearing half the gospel. And here's what half the gospel said. Half the gospel began something like this. Started off good. It said that Jesus Christ died for you. And died for me on that cross. And paid the penalty for our sins. Paid the consequences for our sins. God this is amazing thing, right? And then we were kind of told, now God did this incredible thing for you. He did his part. Now do your part. And man, some of us were like, yeah, God did that for me. Now I'm going to do my part. And we kind of pull our bootstraps up. And we're like, yes. The problem is it doesn't take very long for us to realize we're not very good at doing our part. Come on, let's be real here. We start off with this enormous energy and enthusiasm, but we realize very quickly that there's a massive chasm between what I ought to do and what I actually do. And so here's what we do. Uh, We try harder. We try harder. And again, it's not because we're necessarily told. Some of us are told, try harder. But we pick up this message as read the Bible more, more Bible study, more sermons, more, more, more conferences, more, 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 more. And we try harder. But you ever notice that sometimes when you try harder to control things, it actually becomes even more difficult? Let me give you an example. I played baseball in high school. I know it's hard to believe. I played baseball in high school. And here's the thing. When you try harder to hit a 90 mile per hour fastball, your muscles tense up. 
And some of you that play tennis, it's similar. When you're facing a fast serve and you go, I'm going to try to hit, your muscles tense up. When you try harder to impress someone on a first date, or try harder to impress someone on a sale, what happens? You come across as pushy. Uh, when you try harder to uh, uh, cling on to someone, what happens? They're more apt to push you away. There's this thing in life where we try harder. So imagine telling somebody, just try harder to sleep. Just try harder to relax. Just try harder to be more joyful. Just try. We know very quickly that it takes more than just willpower to try harder for fundamental change to occur. And here's the amazing thing that happens as a result of that. Some of us just give up. Some of you in here are at that place. You just give up because you go, you know what? I've tried and God probably didn't mean all those things anyway. And so I'm done. Some of us, here's what we do. We just pretend. And we talked about during EHS, uh, Emotionality Spiritual Sermons. We just pretend that things are okay. We just pretend that things are better. And some of us, we just lower the bar and we go, if I can't reach the standard, then I'm just going to lower the standard so the standard eats me. And dare anybody challenge us, we go, you don't know me, don't judge me. Is there a better way? Yeah, there is. You know what the better way is? The better way is this incredible truth that we are going to learn about in the next four Sundays. Because here's the whole gospel. The whole gospel says this. The whole gospel says that Jesus Christ did not only die on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, but hello, he rose from the dead and now his resurrection power lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're not just told to overcome the penalty of our sins by the virtue of his death, but we're told that by his indwelling spirit within us, we have the capacity to overcome the power of sin. Is that good news? The resurrection life is available to us. God didn't intend this Christian life to be, I did this amazing thing for you, so now go try really hard. But God says, I did this amazing thing for you, and knowing that you couldn't do this on your own, I'm going to now deposit my presence in the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to live through you, to do for you what you can't do on your own. And in case you think this is some isolated thing in the Bible, look at how prevalent this is in every page of scripture. Look, some of these passages, we don't have time to go through all of them. Uh, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is a part that you and I play. Make no mistake about it. For it is at God work in you, both to will, hello, and to work according to his good pleasure. According to scripture, our willingness is even dependent on the Holy Spirit. Our will, sometimes you go, why don't I have the willpower? Because your willingness, even that, comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things. <laughs> we love that. There's another part though, through him who strengthens me. Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In case you thought this is just a Paul thing, look at what Peter says. First Peter chapter 2, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Every single page in the New Testament that says, you can't, but he can 
We are not able, but he is able. This is why in our church, we don't believe in rededication. I don't know if you grew up in church, you went to youth camp, college camp, and the pastor goes up there and it's emotional and they're like, who wants to rededicate their life to Jesus? And everybody goes, me. Do you know why rededication doesn't work? Because rededication is you telling God how much you are going to try better next time. It doesn't work. We need more than rededication. We need his indwelling spirit, his indwelling spirit within us. Let me ask you something. Throughout the sermon, it says, how acutely are you aware of your need for the Holy Spirit in your life? How acutely are you aware, church family, this morning about your need, your need for the Holy Spirit in your life? I found this passage to be utterly sobering. Look what Paul says in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Verse 14, listen to this. He redeemed us so that by faith we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, do you recognize the enormous price that was paid for you and I? So that we would be able to relate to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. See, this is why I blame myself for not preaching on this regularly. Because the reality is, the answer to many of us sitting here right now is, Holy Spirit, I, I can't remember the last time I even, I even actually thought about the Holy Spirit. Or for some of us, I can't remember the last time I intentionally was so acutely aware that I can't live this Christian life on my own that I leaned into his power and into his presence. And I was so palpably aware of his presence in my life that I was able to live my life for him. About a third of you, because you're new to the church, have never heard us talk about the Holy Spirit. And so for the next just a few minutes, here's some general basic foundational truths that we'll continue to build on for the rest of the sermon series. Jesus himself, of course, talked in the book of John about who the Holy Spirit and his ministry. In John 14, verse 16, just some basic foundational things for you and I to kind of hold on to as we talk about what it means to walk with God Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. There are two Greek words for that word another in the New Testament. One is hetero, which means different or as opposed to the other. And the other word is alos, which means just like that other. And the word here is just like that other, alos. In other words, Jesus is saying, who I'm going to send to you is just like me. Verse 17. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, the Holy Spirit. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. First big anchor we need to hold on to is this. Holy Spirit is God. 
Let's say this together. The Holy Spirit is God. One more time. Ready? The Holy Spirit is God. It is profoundly important that Jesus says, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave as an absentee God. Jesus said, as I go, I'm going to come to you as the Holy Spirit. The unique nature of Christianity. Let's just do some doctrinal work right here for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> the unique nature of Christianity says that there is one God existing as three distinct persons. One God. And this separates and distinguishes Christianity from all the other religions. There is one God, not multiple gods, thus separating it from polytheism like Hinduism. But this one God exists as three distinct persons. Separating it from monotheism like Judaism or Islam. Christianity says there is one God who uniquely exists as three distinct persons. And in experiencing one, you experience them all. Is that cool? So when Jesus says, as I leave, I am sending you me. In a different person. That's why it's absolutely astounding that Jesus says to disciples, listen, when you see me, you see the Father. And when you hear from the Spirit, you hear from me. Holy Spirit is God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's not an it. It's not some force. It's not a he. My wife and I, every time I preach on the Holy Spirit, she jokingly refers to it as the Holy Ghost. Because some of us are a little nervous about, you know, Holy Spirit, what's he? The Holy Spirit is a person who thinks, who acts, who feels, and who speaks. And this is huge because here's the thing. Holy Spirit is someone that you and I could have a relationship of intimacy with. And a relationship has always been God's intention. I find it so amazing that when you read the book of Genesis in the very beginning, the Bible says, first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, they what? Walked with God in the cool of the day. And they would walk in Hebrew as a sense of intimacy, deep intimacy, deep intimacy. And even though our sinfulness broke that intimacy from Genesis 3 on to the end of Revelation, listen to this. The picture is a God who is in pursuit, in pursuit, in pursuit of lost humanity. Not to give you rules, not to give you a list of things to do, but so that we might walk with him again. So that we might walk in intimacy with him again. Can I ask you something? Be honest this morning. Is God someone you know more about and someone you know intimately? Can I ask you something? Is Christianity just a set of beliefs and a doctrines you adhere to? Or is Christianity a vital living life where you walk in his power and move in his presence? intention from the get-go has been that you and I would learn to walk in intimacy in relationship with him. It's always been God's intention. That's why Jesus comes and says to his followers, what? Come in. Follow. Come and follow me. 
That's why when you look in the New Testament and you see what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's only two things the entire New Testament tells us. One is you'll find be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 is that big text where it talks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But after Ephesians 5.18, the New Testament writers don't talk or refer to our relationship with the Holy Spirit as be filled, but walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Let me show you. Paul, in writing Romans, says the following. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, there it is, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live or led or walk according to the flesh have their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds on the things of the Spirit. And church, everybody look up here. This is the most important thing. Paul's entire argument here, and this is where we're going for the next four Sundays, is this. Whether you are a Christian or not, every single one of us is here this morning, and we are either walking according to the Spirit, or we are walking according to the flesh. There is no alternative. Christian or not, we are either walking according to the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, or we are walking according to the flesh. And walking according to the flesh is not some deviant sexual thing in the corner. We're going to talk more about this next week. Walking according to the flesh, or walking, every single one of us walked into those doors this morning, having lived Monday through Saturday, walking according to the flesh, or walking according to the Spirit. To which you go, well, why does it matter? Here's why it matters. This is what Paul says is the result. This is where we're going, of walking according to the flesh. Galatians 5.19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies. Uh... Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, really brings home the results of walking according to flesh as he translates these verses this way. Here's the result. Repetitive, loveless sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all consuming and yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small minded and lopsided pursuits, vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions and ugly parodies of community. 
We're going to talk about some of those, by the way, for the next four Sundays. That, Paul says, Christian or not, is the fruit and the result of someone who says, I'm walking according to the flesh. Walking according to the Spirit. Here are the results of that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ah. Oh. anyone who says, I don't think they're very important. <laughs> I always go, um, give me the kind of characteristic attributes that you want, to, you want in someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Are those trials important? Let me ask you something. Rigorous honesty. Here we go. Are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you walking according to the flesh? Are you walking with God? Are you walking according to the flesh? What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? That's where we're headed to. So open your Bibles to Galatians 5. And you're going to park yourself right here. Galatians 5. Here we go. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Does that sound like uh, advice? Does that sound like a uh, suggestion? Walk by the Spirit. Okay, right away. Let's talk about what it means to walk by the Spirit. So we'll get our anchors, and then we'll kind of flesh this out. Here's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And we're going to read this together. Ready? Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that his influence and his leading dominate our entire being. One more time. Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate our entire being. Are you walking according to the Spirit? Walking according to the Spirit is being sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. One of the most amazing things about being a Christian is that you get to be familiar with the Holy Spirit's voice and actually hear Him speaking to you. Is that good news? Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not, check this out, speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. 
speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You and I could develop the ability to hear the Spirit's voice. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you don't follow through, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and I don't obey, when there is conviction of the Holy Spirit that doesn't lead to conversion, it quenches the Spirit. What does that mean, Peter? Let me show you where it says that, and then I'll show you what it means. First Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit. And the word quench literally means to put out. And Paul is saying, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You quench the Spirit when you hear His voice, when you get that, you know, prompting in your heart to do something, and yet we don't follow through. Romans 1 says, there is no one who seeks God, not one. That means if you're sitting here right now, and there is a desire, any desire to change, that's not you. That's God speaking to you. If there is any conviction right now to do something, to change, to stop, to call, to self-disclose, to give, to surrender, to forgive, to apologize. If there is any, any prompting to do something, that's not you, that's not me, that's God speaking. But if when the prompting comes and we don't obey... God's voice gets dimmer and dimmer and quieter and quieter. And our hearts get hardened. When the Holy Spirit speaks, oh church, please listen. When the Holy Spirit speaks and the prompting comes to you, and you obey, you follow through, more light and more truth comes shining into our hearts, which then enables us to obey. And when we obey, more truth and more light. But when his voice comes and you don't follow through, you break the cycle. And his voice comes and he speaks. (laughs) And when you don't obey, I don't follow through. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that you're not accepted. None of those things ever changes. But we lose the capacity to hear his voice and we put the spirit out. Do you know what's a real danger in the church today? Do you know what a, do you know what a real danger is in the church today? We actually think We actually think that discussing the truth is the same thing as obeying the truth. I'm going to say that again. There is a real danger in American Christianity because we love discussing truth. We love talking truth. But we think that discussing truth and talking truth is the same thing as responding to truth. And they are not. They are not. 
That's because in the church, we've confused this, we've confused discipleship with knowledge. They are not the same thing. Have we forgotten that the great commission is Jesus comes and says not, so therefore teach them everything I taught you, but teach them to obey everything I taught you. The result of discipleship, church family, it's not just more knowledge, more discussion. We don't disciple people when we go, here are things you need to know, here are things you need to know. Discipleship, teach them to what? Obey everything I taught you. Have we confused discussion of truth with responding to truth? Have we confused talking about theology with obedience to his voice. I tell you, a sobering verse for me in the Bible, a sobering verse for me in the Bible, is James 4.17 when James says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Did you know that's in the Bible? He's literally saying for many of us, it's actually better that we don't know than to know and not do it. Oh, church family. Church family. Application, it's simple. You know, many of you, what God has been saying. See, I'm convinced that even the person sitting here going, I don't hear God's voice. You do. You do. And he's been saying, change course. Stop doing that. You need to tell somebody. You gotta call. You gotta email. You need to. And we go, keep going, no, 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 no. How many of us are doing that right now? Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. And here's the next part. The empowerment. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I said this at the last week and I think it just went whoop. But I'm going to say it again. If you and I are at a place in our lives where we are perfectly capable of doing life on our own, if you and I right now, be totally honest, are perfectly capable of handling doing life on our own, we have stopped growing spiritually. I'm going to say that again. If throughout this week you didn't give God a second thought because there was never a moment when you said, I can't do this, God. I can't do this, God. I can't do this, God. And throughout the whole week, you were perfectly capable. I was perfectly, on my entire own, we literally have stopped growing spiritually. And not my words. Let me show you what Jesus said, okay? Because here's what Jesus said in John 15, 5. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man, woman, child remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Say the next things with me. Ready? Apart from me, you can do nothing. It seems to Jesus... That a person who is growing spiritually comes to recognize that I can't do a thing apart from him. 
And realize who he's talking to. He's talking to a group of people that he is giving the mission to change the world with the gospel, right? He is giving them the mission. And the disciples, of course, are like, Jesus, let us out. We, there's, a, there's an entire world dying without the gospel. And Jesus says, do not lift a finger until you have received my power from on high. Why? Because Jesus goes, I know what your best looks like. And what I'm calling you to do has to be more than just your best. I'll say that again. The disciples are like, let us at him, Jesus. Hurting, dying, hungry people. And Jesus goes, do not lift a finger until my power rests on you. Why? Because when my power rests on you, as we'll see, you'll do more in one day for the gospel than 10,000 lifetimes on your own strength. And so Jesus says, do not lift a finger That's how much you need me. Can I ask you a question? Do you live with that kind of utter and total dependence on the Holy Spirit every day? Do I live with that kind of utter, total, as you pursue God's mission for your life? Do you and I really believe that there's nothing that we can do without him? Not as a parent, not as a child, not as a boss, not as an employee, not as a student, not as a pastor. There is nothing that we can do. That's why the biggest obstacle to living this life is you and it's me. Because as long as we are approaching life today from the perspective of God, I got this. We block the Spirit's work in our lives. Do you know what I've noticed for 27, uh, 8 years being a pastor? I'm still waiting for someone to come and share this testimony with me. Someone who experienced a spiritual breakthrough after seasons of dryness. Someone who experienced extra, just spiritual breakthrough and growth. I'm still waiting for someone to come and go, Pastor Peter, do you know what it was? I just tried harder. I just said to myself, I'm going to be even more committed and more determined than I've ever been. And I'm just going to do it even if it kills me. And then God showed up. Never heard that in 27, 28 years. Do you know what I have heard over and over and over again? Here's what I've heard. And people that had a spiritual breakthrough. And if you are sitting here this morning and you are spiritually dry, you are spiritually dead, you are spiritually stalemated and apathetic. Here's what I've heard over and over again. I've heard people, what if they're going to come to me and go, do you know what the spiritual breakthrough was? And I said, what? They go, I came to a place where I said to God, God, I can't do this anymore. God, I am at the end of my rope. I am at the end of my ability, my intellect. I am at the end of my willpower. And I can't do it anymore. And I give up. If this is going to have to happen, you're going to have to do it through me. Because I focus for people who experience spiritual through is never on them and their commitment, their determination. It's on who? It's on God. See, the sobering question that I have to wrestle with is this. Would your life look completely different if the Holy Spirit was removed from it right now? No, I'm serious. 
Are you and I living our lives in such dependence that the Holy Spirit were to be removed from our lives? Would our lives look any different? Would our church? Would our church? Ah! If the Holy Spirit was removed from our church, would our church look any different? Because we have lived with such conscious dependence. Can I add? Maybe this is why our lives are not that remarkably different from people out in the world. Maybe this is why our lives are not remarkably, visibly different. That when people look at us and go, I, 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 I don't, what? Should not our lives look remarkably, visibly different than someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? Should it not? Real quick. I'm going to give some practical, what does this look like to depend on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? I want to, I want to introduce you to a, a breathing exercise called spiritual breathing. Some of you are like, oh, here we go again. Yes, here we go again. What does this look like? Actually, actually, for those of you that are like, oh, I've heard this for eight years. Actually, there, there is a, there is a, there's a change on how we're going to do it now, okay? Yep, yep, uh, I, I need to change it up a little bit for those of you that are like, We've been doing it for eight years. Here's a change. Here's a change. Spiritual breathing. Here's what spiritual breathing is, okay? And I'm trying to do this every day of my life. Spiritual breathing, first and foremost, is exhale by confession. And I'll describe it. I'll show you. Exhale by confession. And then you inhale by appropriation. You exhale and confess. And then you inhale and appropriate. What do I mean? Spiritual breathing exercise is you exhale and confess. You breathe out and confess I can't. The word confessed in Greek is homologeo, which literally means to agree with or to side along with. And basically, when you, I can't. I'm confessing. God, I can't manage my anger problem on my own. I can't. God, I can't love my child and be patient with him like I need to. God, I can't overcome that porn addiction on my own. God, I can't love that difficult person on my own. It's exhale by confession. It's breathing out. I can't. And then you breathe in. But you can. It's inhaling the filling of the spirit. And Acknowledging, confessing, and appropriating. But you can't. I can't. But you can. Friday, I had a really rough week. I had a really rough week. Nothing unusual. Just a very busy, active week. I got a Friday church. And I literally was one of those days where I got up. And I was like, God, I want to stay in bed. Anybody have those weeks? Yeah. That was, that was Friday. And I had, of course, a series of meetings. And here's what I found myself doing. I got out of my car to go to my next stop. And it was, almost, it was almost like second nature. I didn't have to think about it. I got out of the car and I found myself going, I can't. But you can. I can't. But you can. I can't. But you can. I can't. Uh, medium Americano, please. Okay, thank you. I can't. But you can. I can't. But you can. I can't. Do you know when the best 
time to do these exercises? It's during your daily offices where you stop and pause throughout the day multiple times. When you stop, even for a minute or two, you stop and pause before you get out. You stop and pause at 11 o'clock or whenever your lunch break is. You stop and pause on your way home or at work. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Do you know why this is important? Like many of you, I'm not taken by surprise at the things that trip me up on an everyday basis. I know already when I get up the people, the places, and the things. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly the people, places, and things that tempt me, that trip me up, that I struggle with. I'm rarely taken by surprise. Not like I walk around going, oh, where did that come from? Oh, where did you come from? No, you are at your exact same desk every morning at 9 o'clock. I see you. I know exactly where they come from. So here's what I do. Here's what I do. When I throughout the day go, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. I am making myself acutely aware and sensitive to my need for his empowerment. And when it gets embedded in my daily routine, when I actually encounter the temptation, I don't have to go, hold on a minute. I can't, but you can't. When I encounter the temptation, I've been in the daily rhythm and habit of, I need you. Because I can't. I confess, I can't. But you can. I can't love that person, Jesus. I can't, you know. But you can. Do it through me. I'm going to see my boss. And every time I see him, I want to punch him in the face. Good Lord. I don't know what it says that our entire church laughed out loud at that. It means that you need this sermon series, what you need. I can't, but you can't. Listen, for those of you, not just men and women, struggle with pornography, you're not taken by surprise. And I'm not making this simplistic. You know exactly the time, the place where the struggles come. Now I normally do. When we're not accustomed to this way of life, which is normal, natural, we literally find ourselves in the midst of the struggle. We're like, I need help, I need help. And what happens 99% of the time, we what? We get defeated. What would happen if you and I walked every single day and we became so conscious aware, I can, but you can. I can, but you can. I can, but you can. And it became almost second nature. Lean into the spirit and his filling and empowerment. Because we've been doing it throughout the day. Is that possible? You better believe it. I'll talk more about how we do that in the next three weeks. And I need to finish up here. And the walking according to the spirit is that living my life sensitive to, there it is, dependent upon, there it is, the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that, and here it is, his influence and his leading dominate our entire being. The way that the Holy Spirit, CC, can you come up and help or are you just out for the rest of the day? Out for the rest of the day, okay. The way that the Holy Spirit works in our lives is that he leads and we follow He prompts and we respond. Another way, he doesn't smack you upside the head. 
He doesn't coerce and manipulate. He doesn't control and force. He leads and he prompts. And we follow. And all of a sudden, we are brought to the, the crux of the struggle on why we have a difficult time living this life. And here it is. You will not follow the Spirit if you do not trust Him. Even my seven-year-old knows if I trust you, no matter where you go, I'm going to follow. But if I don't trust you, if I don't believe that you are for me, if I don't believe that you have my best interest, if I don't believe that you love me, you are not going to follow that person. And here we are. Here we are, church. The, the challenge on whether this life of walking with God and the power of the Spirit can become yours or not. The question that we come to is, do you and do I trust Him with our entire being? You will not. This is not intellectual, mental. You will not follow someone you don't trust. And the reason why for many of us, this life is foreign is not because we haven't been taught. The question is, do you trust him where you say, you lead, I will follow. You go and I'm right there with you. It doesn't even matter. Danger, it doesn't matter. I know you are for me. I follow. Do you trust him with your entire life? Do you trust him this morning as you sit here and say, he's talking about walking with faith and walking with God. The challenge is you and I cannot, will not follow a God we don't believe is for us. And why do you think every single Sunday I point to that cause? To remind you and me, we can trust him. I could trust him. You could trust him. Because if you don't trust him, you will not follow someone you don't trust. You will not, it doesn't matter, you have a thousand sermons. You will not trust. And you will not follow. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he is for you? And let me make this very plain. Because I don't want, do you trust him? You know, that's very biblical. Let me put it like concrete and tangible. Look at these life areas. Career. Your private thought life. Church involvement. Your future. Your money and possessions. Your friendships. Your children. Your self-image. Your marriage. Your 
physical health, and I can go on and on and on. These are some of, as you look at these areas, as you think about these areas, answer as honestly as you can, rigorous honesty, to these following questions. Whether you trust him, because if you don't trust him, you will not follow your master. As you look at those areas, and if it helps you, if it helps you to focus, close your eyes as you listen to these questions and whether you trust him. As you look at those areas of your life, ask yourself first, am I willing to obey God? Whatever God says about this life area, no matter how much, no matter how I feel about it. Let me say that again. Trust is, am I willing to obey God? And what he says about this life area, no matter how I feel about it, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Second question. Am I willing to, oh, oh, am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this area? Whether I understand it or not. Do you trust him? Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this area? Because I believe he is for me. Whether I understand it or not, he is for me and I will follow. Third question. Is there something in this life area that I am relying on more than God for my hope, for my purpose, and for my meaning in life? Is there anything in any of these areas that I am relying on more than God for my purpose, for my hope, for my meaning in life? And lastly... Are there problems or limitations in any of these life areas that I think are too big for God to remove? Am I, am I, are there problems or limitations in any of these areas in my life that I think are too big for God to remove? Which brings us to the question, do you trust him? I don't know about anybody else, but I am sensing right now that there is a thick presence of the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
in this place. Don't quench his voice. Don't quench the spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit right now for many of us is speaking and saying, you do not trust me with that area. You do not and you have not trusted me in that life area. Walking with God begins when you trust Him. Will you, in the next minute or so, before we close, Will you be courageous enough this morning to admit that area where you don't trust God? It might be all of them for some of us. And secondly, more than just admission and acknowledgement, are you willing Are you willing to allow and enable his empowerment and his leading to guide and to direct you? Are you willing this morning to begin, at least begin the journey of saying, 